Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. Father, I praise you and I thank you for the opportunity for us to meet and to gather this morning to worship your name. And I pray, Lord, that even as we have sung, that you really would come and fill this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work within our lives, that we might get over anything, God, or everything that would hold us back from hearing your heart today. Lord, I pray specifically for us as a people that you may refresh us today in you. Lord, that no matter how we've come in, that we would go out having been refreshed by the reality of your presence. Lord, thank you for the invitation that you give to us to come and drink. Thirst no more, Lord, and have rivers of your love flowing from our lives. I pray that you would do a work in us today, God, that would change us. Help us to see ourselves, Lord, the way you would have us to see ourselves. Help us to be willing to make adjustments, Lord, to walk with you afresh and anew today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the big picture. God, that you are willing and able to send us into a world that is bigger than just us. So Lord, work within our lives today for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. You can be seated. And as you are, if you want to grab a Bible and turn to the book of John chapter 7, that would be great. You can find verse 37 as Doug read. And as you're doing that, let me just say this. Uh, It's really good to be back. People have been asking. Let me say quickly, we were gone two weeks, drove 5,000 miles through seven different states with a three-year-old in the car who only threw a fit twice for less than a half an hour in total. So I would say this. It was a fantastic trip. Um, We had a great time, got to see friends and family all along the way, got to celebrate with my son and his wife before they took off um, to travel the world for the next couple of years, kids these days. Um, It dawned on me like the day that we were leaving, that they're leaving, and I thought, oh man, I'm not going to see you for two years. And it was a little bit of a, yeah, it was a little bit of a, I'm not crying, you're crying, and he's looking at me like, suck it up, dad. And I'm like, I'm your dad. I can cry if I want to. I think there's a song, but I think it's a party, not your dad. Anyway, we had a fantastic time. So glad to be back home and have been looking forward to being here this morning with you all. John chapter 7, remember, we are going through, making our way a long journey through the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the story of Jesus. We're doing so by way of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so we bounce all over the place all the time, doing our best to get it chronologically, which can be difficult because, remember, the the Gospels were written more thematically than they were that word that says in order. Are you guys with me? You see that? Okay, it's been a week. Just give me some grace. Two weeks ago, we arrived at a passage where Jesus shows up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is that time in Israel's history where all Israelites 
All of the Jews, from no matter where they were in the world, were expected to travel to Jerusalem for three different feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles being one of them. And when they would go for this feast, from wherever they were at, it was a pilgrim feast. You needed to go there, and you would spend a week celebrating with your brethren, with the community. And what you were celebrating was how God had provided for you. And then what you were looking forward to is how God would provide for you in the year to come. But they would look back and thank God for his provision. The Feast of Tabernacles, remember, all the people would go and they wouldn't stay in inns or hotels or Airbnbs or BRB, whatever you call them today. The idea that you can just rent somebody's house or a room in somebody's house is super weird for me. Like I grew up in the 70s. You don't rent somebody's room. You go to a hotel. But then we traveled across the country and stayed in some hotels. And now I see why you might want to stay somewhere else. Because some of the hotels were not great. Just so you know, if you book hotels in advance, go four stars and above. Just do yourself a favor. Three and a half and below, not super great. But, you, I mean, nobody was worried because I would protect my family. <laughs> that is to say, we'd hurry into the hotel room really fast and lock the doors, set a dresser behind and sit there panic the whole time. They didn't stay like that. What they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles is they would show up, and on the outskirts of Jerusalem, they would build temporary tents, if you will, out of sticks, branches, leaves, and so on and so forth. And they did so to symbolize how God had provided for his people when they traveled through the Red Sea thousands of years before. When God, through Moses, led people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, they would stay in temporary houses. And the Feast of Tabernacles was put in place so that on an annual basis, God's people would recognize and understand, celebrate, remind one another that they were lost without the Lord's provision. That there was no hope without his provision. Because when they traveled through the wilderness, they had to rely on him not only for water, but also for food. And so they would exist in that same way for a week. Jesus goes to that festival. Now, while at that festival, remember, I like the way Israelites celebrate. I like the way people in other places of the world celebrate. We do a birthday for what? One day, right? Which is in reality like a couple of hours on that one day, right? These guys celebrate everything for long periods of time. A wedding, a week. I like it. Right? Feast of Tabernacles, seven or eight days. Let's do it. Let's get together and celebrate for seven or eight days because it's worth doing. Why? Because we recognize how God has provided for us. So for seven or eight days, this would go on. The time was a time. It was a festive time. It was a joyful time. It was a hopeful time because they had made it another year. During each one of the days of this Feast of Tabernacles, historians tell us that at the time of Jesus... There was, a, there, was a, there was a procession that would take place each day during the feast. So at some point during the feast, the priest in the temple, <clears throat> in all of his garb, right? All of his priestly garments, there was, he, was, he, would, he would be unmistakable, and he would have a posse of other priests. I don't know if we're allowed to say it that way, but that's essentially, he would have an entourage of other priests with him, and he would go out from the temple carrying a pitcher, a, a water container, and they would make their way with not only the priest and his entourage, his posse, so to speak, but also people would be with them and they would be singing Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy, you draw water out of the wells of salvation. 
So I don't know what that song sounded like. I don't know how they sung it. I'm not even going to try to imitate it or make you imagine. But think, they're walking through the priest and his entourage every single day of the seven or eight day Feast of Tabernacles. Every single day, there was a moment where we'd take a water pitcher and they would sing these songs. The people are festive. Are you, are you with are you with me? Like, think of this festival, and there's this time, and there's this great joy and anticipation, and there he goes, and he's walking down to the pool of Siloam, and he would dip the water container into the water and hold it up. This very symbolic, right? It was recognizing that we are, water means life, and without God's provision, we're in trouble. This is what the picture would say. This is what people would realize. Remember, they're also an agrarian culture. Is that the right word? I think it is. It has to do with planting and such. Thank you. So they recognized that without water, not only were they in trouble physically, but their crops were in trouble. So now we got all kinds of issues. And so the priest, with his entourage of priests, and the crowd singing Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, out of the wells of salvation, you come bringing water, right? They, they would go and make their way back to the altar of sacrifice, right? Make their way back to the altar of sacrifice and they would pour the water out on the altar as an offering to the Lord, anticipating not only his provision for the next year, but even if they could have it early. In other words, they're asking not only that God would provide for them for the whole next year, but that he would also bring rain earlier than the year before so that their crops, roots would go deep and would produce even better fruit. Does that make sense? We don't live like this. We don't walk through. <laughs> Why don't you join me as we walk down to downtown Medford with this pitcher of water and I'll, I'm going to pour it over. Uh, no, you guys would think that's the weirdest thing in the world. But this is what was going on. Every single day, the people, through the actions of their priests, were reminded that they were desperate for God's provision. They live in a land that requires it too, don't you know? Like the Middle East, by the way, is hot and dry. There are pockets of refreshment. There are pockets of water, so on and so forth. But it's primarily hot and dry. Specifically, Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel. It's hot and it's dry and it's arid. I made mention first service. I was in Israel one time. And at 9 o'clock in the morning, it was 109 degrees. At 9 o'clock in the morning. And as tourists, it was inappropriate to take your shirt off. I was really frustrated because it was so hot. And this was before the days of tech gear. <laughs> so it was just cotton, sticky, see-through with sweat. Probably more details than you need. It's hot and dry. So every single day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a symbolic reminder for the people that they were desperate for God, that they needed his provision. Not only that, see, not only was there this practical purpose to what they were doing, you know, asking the Lord for early rain so that their crops would do even better. And not only was there this, this, this spiritual remembrance of how God had provided for, the, for their people for thousands of years, but there was also a spiritual reality looking forward. Because even in the pouring of the water, they would have been reminded of messianic passages specifically found in Zechariah where living waters, they were promised that at some point living water would flow from Jerusalem. 
So there's this dynamic going on that is hard for us to just gather as we read three verses on a flat piece of paper with ink that some machine stamped on there. But if we understand all the background and what's going on, man, there's so much happening. These three verses are thick with context, reality, and drama. So the people were anticipating that God would continue to provide. The people were hoping that God would do so early and abundantly. The people were ultimately looking forward to the Messiah who would come to Jerusalem and from him would spring streams of living water to the world around them. This is what the people, but they wouldn't have seen the world around them. They would have just said, just to Israel, right? So this is what's going on. There's even a messianic reality to this procession that would take place day after day after day. And we're told in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, right? Everything crescendos to this point. Everybody's paying attention to this point. Jesus, in the midst of it, stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, I don't know the exact time frame. I don't know exactly how it happened. But in the movie that plays in my head as I read these verses, man, can you imagine the high priestly procession down to the pool of Siloam, dipping and bringing water back to the altar. Everybody knows it's happening because everybody around is singing Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. And this is all happening. And at this point, in the midst of all of that commotion, while the water is being poured out on the altar of sacrifice, Jesus stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty... This is an important thing because the reality of what happened, right? They do this ritual, this water pouring on the altar procession ritual. They do it every single day, year after year after year after year. In other words, they all inherently knew that the water would satisfy temporarily. (laughs) And Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You see, What's worth noting is this is a messianic announcement. They would have seen it connected to Zechariah. They would have seen it connected to the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah who would bring streams of living water coming from Jerusalem. They would have seen it. They would have heard it. We kind of miss it because we already know he is, right? But it's important sometimes to go beneath that and read it and see it the way they would have seen it. And it would have been mind-blowing. In fact... After this, which we'll get into in the weeks to come, made a lot of people upset. Because who does he think he... We've already told everyone he's not the Messiah. He needs to sit down, shut up, keep his mouth shut. And if he doesn't, we'll get rid of him. And yet he did. He goes on to say in verse 38, For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, on this last day, this great day, in the midst of this water-pouring ritual, it's so great. In the midst of all of that, he stands up and he announces that if you're thirsty, if your soul, to them, if your soul is thirsty, you come to me and drink. You come and you believe in me. Because not only will you find refreshing for your soul, but it will also become a refreshment to the people around you because I in you will come out of you in such a way that blesses those around you. Hello? Hey, let's get excited because this is cool. 
Like, it's really cool. First service, just so you know, they were not really excited about the Jesus stuff, but I said the word vomit, and it was really hot, and they were like, whoa! (laughs) So let's switch that, right? Who cares about vomit and heat? Let's get excited about Jesus. Because this is what he's coming and he's promising. Just so you know, the promise that he made then some 2,000 years ago still stands today. It's one of those promises. It's open to all for all time, if you will. And when I say time, I'm talking about the time that's determined for this time, which, by the way, is eschatological reality. There is more time to come. But right now, the time that's determined for this time, the invitation is still open for all the time. Yeah? And so Jesus is giving this invitation for dry and weary, parched, dehydrated people to come to him and find something that they haven't been able to find in anyone or anywhere else. Yeah? Then he says, look at verse 39. He says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Just so you know, he's saying, listen, you come and you believe, and you drink from my love, and I will become in you a spring of living water flowing up out of you. And John tells us he's talking about the spirit whom he would promise that he would bring and give a helper who would come and be there, take up residence within their hearts, producing something from their lives. Think think love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, blah, 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 continuing. I don't mean blah, 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 but you know what I, continuing on, right? Paul, the apostle who wrote that, was ad hocing the list. This isn't just the fruits of the Spirit. It's all these things and so much more, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. You come and you believe and you drink from me, and I'm going to become within you through my Spirit, a well of living water overflowing to the point of refreshing everyone around you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, gentleness, all of those things. You guys see that? I don't know about you, but this right here, These are some of the three most exciting verses that we've come across so far. So far. We already know that for Israel, they had been waiting some 400 years in prophetic silence, waiting for God to speak. And here on this day where they're thanking God for for his provision and, and trusting God to take care of them, Jesus stands up and says, I'm right here. And all you have to do is believe. And I will become in you something that becomes a blessing to everyone around you. Like, this is really, really profound stuff. But what does it have to do with us? Because that's one of the most important things. We'll go into what happened then in the next few weeks and talk about the frustrations and the arguments and how it just continued to create this tension. But as it relates to us, I couldn't help but to see a number of things. Number one, belief in Jesus is supposed to bring refreshing to our souls, but also to the souls around us. And sometimes we forget that. I don't know about you, but again, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it until it's not true, which means I'm going to say it forever. I'm selfish, anyone else. I'm self-centered. The first person that I usually think about in any situation, in any group of people, in any circumstance is usually myself. And so I read this and I'm like, all I want, man, Lord, if if believing in you is going to be refreshing in my life, then I'm in. And this spring up a well, (laughs) do you guys remember that song? 
First service wouldn't sing it, man. They hung me out to dry because I was like, I got a river of life flowing out of me. See, thank you very much. <laughs> Makes a lame to walk in the... Right, there you go. You see what I mean? Spring up a well. And you have to throw a hip. You have to. Because it's... No, let me, let me... Jason, let me challenge you. Let me, let me caution you. If you're going to throw a hip, just be aware of how far to throw it. Don't want to throw it out. You just want to throw it. But this is a beautiful creation. God has given us these bodies. Let's go ahead and use them for his glory. Does that make sense? Why don't we throw hips? Why? Because it speaks of other things that the world has taken from us. Let's take it back for the glory of God. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Right? There ain't nothing wrong with that. It was God's first. Now, I know there are like four people with their hand over their face going, you've got to be kidding. My only request would be this. Don't give up. Come back next week. <laughs> we live in a time, just so you know, of great thirst. Now, I think this is true 20 years ago. I think it's through 10 years ago. I think it's true 30 years ago. For as long as I can remember within Christianity, I think it's true. However, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, those were different types of thirst than we live right now. We live in a time where people, their souls, whether they know it or not, are thirsting for anything or everything or anything, desperately searching for something to give them some sort of satisfaction deep within. And you and I both know, I can ramble on and on and on for the things that we look to and that they look towards to fill that thirst, to try and quench it. We don't need to do that, but you all know that's part of a reality. And I suggest to you that that thirst is not just a thing that's out there in the world. I'm going to go ahead and suggest as a pastor, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's, more of a serious issue in the church than sometimes we believe. See, here's a, I, in between services, I wanted to do something, so I, I Googled how many people in the United States are dehydrated. <laughs> the Internet is awesome. Still undefeated after all these years. Thank you, Al Gore. In a study that was done in New York, they studied 3,000 people, 75% were technically dehydrated. Physically, 75% of Americans, according to this study, don't take in enough water. Now, part of me is like, oh, man, can't be 75% until I remember the last two weeks of my road trip. I brought my water bottle. You guys, how many of you are water bottle people? Water bottle. I'm not normally a daily water bottle person. I'm not like that guy who's walking around with his water bottle all the time. Do you guys know water bottle? Are you guys water bottle people? We're pointing at people. That's not a water bottle. That's a water jug. So on the trip, I recognize we're going to be in the car for long periods of time, anywhere from 12 to 13 hours at a time to like as little as six hours at a time and anywhere in between. That's a lot of time, right? And I know better at my age not to just drink an IV of Pepsi the whole time. So, I did, right? Apparently, it's not healthy. I don't know. 
So I had my water container with me, and we had spare water bottles. But at, 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 at certain times throughout the two weeks, it became evident to both Bethany and I and with Ezekiel that at different times throughout those two weeks, each one of us got dehydrated at a certain point because we, though we had water with us, didn't drink it. And I recognized, oh, that might be. We're a water bottle society and still 75% dehydrated. Why? Well, number one, we don't drink nearly enough as we should, right? We think, oh, this is probably enough. But a daily amount of water that we need is much more. Bonnie, what is it? It's a jug. It's a couple of those. It's not one of these. It's two or three of those, right? And so we're constantly walking around a little dehydrated. And when we're dehydrated, guess what happens? Everything starts breaking down. Our brains don't work well. Our systems don't work well. Everything starts, you know what I mean? You ever just trudge your way through life? You know what I'm saying? In reality, even though it's annoying at times, the advice to drink more water is physically true. Just true. Drink more water. You'll feel better. And I'm like, no, I mean, if it's Mountain Dew, then yeah. You know what I mean? But if it's just water, it really is. Here's my suggestion. I suggest to you that if 75% of Americans are dehydrated, that it might be the same number for Christians who are spiritually dehydrated as well. And some of the reasons are the same thing. We have 17 Bibles on our bookshelves. I was looking. I had been away from home for two weeks. I go into my living room and look on the bookshelf. Six Bibles. Six Bibles, six inches of dust. I thought that would be funny. Apparently, you guys are like, ooh. <laughs> now we know two things. He doesn't read the Bible and doesn't clean his house. <laughs> six Bibles on the bookshelf. I got a cell phone that gives me the ability to connect with 600 Christians at any given moment, some of which would actually answer their phone. By the way, if I call you, answer your phone, right? At any moment, get down on my knees and pray. And yet, I suggest that many of us, even within the church, walk around spiritually dehydrated. Jesus, listen, Jesus seems to offer this, right? He seems to offer like, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Have you ever been so thirsty, you'd like down one of these and just like a second, you know what I mean? You open it up and you're like, oh yeah. Jesus says we can come to him and drink. So like, Do you ever feel like that? The microphone might not work now. Right? And we all get it, right? We all see that in reality, that's what Jesus is offering. Now, part of the reason that we struggle with it is, number one, that's not appropriate in church. Are you with me? It's a good thing I don't know any better. We're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to chug water to overflowing out of you. It's not very pastoral. It's not very becoming. I would suggest that may be true, and I won't do it every Sunday, but it does make a good point on this Sunday because that's what Jesus offers for us to do. He offers for us to come to him and drink deep of his presence, of his love and his compassion and his kindness to drink deep of who he is. And yet, what we tend to do is not that at all. We tend to go, oh, wait, okay, well, here's what I'll do. Do you guys see this? Do you guys recognize how shaky my hands are? It's because I might be dehydrated. 
Oh, church was so good this week. You see what I mean? I suggest to you a lot of American Christians, including myself, at times, sorry, front row, at times, <laughs> at times we're spiritually dehydrated because Jesus invites us to take these long, gulpy drinks, and what we need to settle for is a cap full of a Sunday morning service. And somehow we think that's going to get us through this life that is tough, excruciating, hard, and exhausting. Are you with me? And we think that this is, this, this, he offers this, or Bonnie's bucket, and this is going to be enough. And we shoot ourselves in the foot, and we walk around, and we, without even knowing it, become spiritually dehydrated. How can you tell if you're spiritually dehydrated? Here, let me give you a hint. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul, speaking of the presence of the Spirit in one's life, says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Right? Paul says this is the fruit of the Spirit. When you are properly spiritually hydrated, these things are flowing up out of your life, just as Jesus promised. But how do you know if you're not spiritually hydrated? How do you know if you're spiritually dehydrated? Well, I suggest you can check yourself and you'll find out how many of you have ever felt not loving. Just keep your hands up because it's going to be true for them all. Everybody raise your hand. You might even want to put up both. How many of you have felt not joyful? How many of you have ever felt not at peace? I'm just going to keep going. It's not, it's not redundant. We're making a point, and I need you to make it with me. Put your hand up. How many of you felt not patient? How many of you felt not kind? I just talked to some of you. How many? Oh, wait. No, they're gone. How many of you felt not good, not faithful, not gentle? And how many of you ever felt like you have no self-control? See, the problem is, see, what we need to understand, spiritually speaking, those are indications that we might be spiritually dehydrated. But instead, just like with regular hydration, we tend to ignore it and put it off on something else. I have a problem with patience. It's not me. It's the people around me. Oh, that one stung a little, didn't it? I got a, page, I got a problem with being loving. You know what? If the people around me were a little more deserving, then I would have lots of love for them. But because they're jerks, I got nothing for them. Now, again, I hope you guys see the sarcasm with which I'm speaking. I don't walk around calling people jerks. I actually think it's wrong. But when we're spiritually dehydrated, doesn't that affect our brains? And we don't see ourselves the way that we're supposed to see ourselves. We don't realize that a little cap will not do. And if we just take a little cap of Jesus' love, then we're going to end up not loving, not kind. And the problem is not going to be everybody around us. Let me go even further. The problem is not just going to be that church. Oh, man, let's go. The problem is going to be what's going on within us or what's not happening within us. You see, I think that if 75% of Americans physically are dehydrated, might be a higher figure in the church because we just have a tendency to go Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I'm not saying everybody, but we have a tendency to go Sunday after Sunday after Sunday thinking a little capful is going to do. And life out there requires more, probably more than even 
the gallons that we require physically. In 2019, I hesitate to share this story because first service I was told that all I did was talk about myself. So I'm going to talk about myself. <laughs> in 2019, right around this time, in three years ago, I had signed up to run a race in Winthrop, Washington. Now, when I say I, would, I had signed up to run a race, it was a foot race, and it was going to happen in one day. It was going to be 50 miles. So I'd signed up, if you're keeping track, I signed up to run 50 miles in 14 hours, less than 14 hours. This was the cutoff time. And we drove up to Winthrop. I had trained, right? I had taken care of everything. I was ready to roll. And we drive up to Winthrop, Washington, which is three hours east of Seattle. It's northern, mid-Washington, mid, mid up in the mountains. It is beautiful, beautiful up there. But as we were driving up there, we realized <clears throat> that the normal temperatures in Winthrop, Washington in May are low 60s. But we hit, remember three years ago in Medford, we hit that in May, that early May, we hit a little heat wave and down here it got like 95. Well, in Winthrop, it got 90. So on race day, it was 90 degrees. And so here's the problem with 90 degrees and running. I run slow. I'm not fast. I'm going to take every bit of the 12, 13, 14 hours that are allotted to run these 50 miles. But the other problem is that means I'm going to spend 12 to 13, 14 hours on exposed trails. The trails up and around the mountains had no shade. So you were always in the sun. So I'm going to spend 12 to 13 to 14 hours running, by the way, running. When I say running, don't think Olympics and sprinters. Think, have you ever, guys, have you ever walked the race walkers in the Olympics? You see those guys? That was my running. It was like this. 12 to 13, 14 hours in 90 degree heat. So here's what happened. I thought the entire time, I'm doing good. I know it's hot. I got to drink more. But I'm doing good. Partway through the early stages of the race, I started realizing the, the aid stations were further apart than I felt like they should be. <laughs> And so my water, I decided, well, you can't just take deep, long drinks because you can't run out of water. So instead, I just started taking sips, not realizing that for the next 25 miles, I was only dehydrating myself because I wasn't drinking enough. And the sun was beating down, beating down. Did I say beating down? It was hot. So we're rolling along. It's about mile 38 of 50. Been out in the sun for eight hours. And I made a calculation error. I thought I only had a certain amount of distance to run to the next aid station. And it turns out it was twice that much. But by then I was panicked and I knew that I was getting dehydrated. So guess what I had done? I had drank all my water. So now I got nothing. And I'm out there. And what starts to happen was brutal. My head started to pound real big. Like have you ever had a dehydration headache? Like it started to pound. I started everything, the world around me went from this to like this. And all I could see was my own misery. Does that make sense? My head started to pound. I didn't have any food or water. People would run by and say, hey, you need some water. I'd say, yeah, can I have some water? And they'd give me some of their water. We didn't care about germs. I'd take their water bottle, squirt it in my mouth. Three seconds later, everything that I drank came vomiting back up. That's when everybody in first service went, woo. You can aim in a vomit, but not Jesus. It's a weird dynamic. Couldn't keep anything down. 
I still have four miles in the midst of the heat to get to the next aid station, passing people who were almost passed out along the side of the trail. Only none of us could do anything for them because we didn't have any water. So it was one of those situations that was dire. It was the most dehydrated I've ever been in my life. Finally rolled down into the aid station, buckets of ice water on the head. I swear I could have felt it boiling once it touched my head, but I could be wrong. Tried to drink a bunch because, you know, you can rally. You can rally. And so I tried to drink a bunch. It all just came right back up. And at that point, I realized I'm done. My day is over. I can't go any further. I can't. So I quit. Quit. Stop. Bailed. Dropped out 41 miles. After eight, nine hours in the sun, 41 miles, I dropped out and quit. Now, I've had people say, yeah, but you ran 41 miles. And I said, yeah, but I almost died, just so you know. I thought back about it. There was three reasons why that happened. Number one, I didn't stay hydrated. I just didn't drink enough. Does that make sense? I thought, man, i got to conserve water. In so doing, I didn't drink enough water. That's number one. I didn't stay hydrated. Number two, I didn't keep myself updated. And what I mean by that is because I wasn't hydrated, I lost the mental ability to keep track of what was going on within me and around me. Not only within me, I started missing the signs of like, you got to drink more, man. Instead, I'm like, no, I'm a tough American male. I can get through this, right? All the while, I'm not updating my life right now. Does that make sense? I'm not paying attention to what's happening within me. You know, that first tinge of, of like, uh, what's, what's the term, you know, when you got a, of uh, nausea? That first twin, tinge, I should have stopped and realized, okay, here's a little problem. You can solve it pretty easy right now. But two hours later, it's done. It's over. I'm in deep trouble because I wasn't paying attention to the updates that were happening within my body. And not only within my body, but even with that around me. I didn't update properly. Like all around me, I should have known the next section that I had to run where I ran out of water, it wasn't five miles with a break at three miles. It was seven miles with a break at five miles. So I was out of water at three miles. I was in deep trouble. So I didn't update not only what was happening, pay attention to what was happening in me or even around me. And so as a result, I became unmotivated. I just quit. I died. When I said I limped my way back into the aid station... I literally walked as slow as possible, crying tears, which I didn't think I had any liquid in me, crying for two miles, two miles, just crying like I'm in trouble. And I come into the aid station. At that point, we get some water, some potato chips, because that's kind of good. You want to keep going? And my thought was, no, I'm done, over, out, I quit. I suggest that we should pay attention to the same thing if we want to avoid being spiritually dehydrated. We have to do a better job of hydrating ourselves. I'm just letting you know right now, once a week on a Sunday morning is not nearly enough. I mean, we're talking about Jesus. Why wouldn't we want to spend more than just a little capful of time with him? When he offers buckets and buckets and gallons and gallons of his love, why do we just settle for just a little bit? that we can get on Sunday morning. We gotta stay hydrated. How do we stay hydrated spiritually? Stay in the word, stay on your knees, and stay around God's people. Does that make sense? Stay in the word, just read the Bible. Just read it, enjoy it. Let the water of the word refresh your soul on a regular basis. 
Stay on your knees. Spend time in his presence just talking with him, listening to him, pouring your heart out to him. This is part of how it works. Ultimately, stay around God's people. Now, I'm not saying those are the only people you're around, but make sure you don't miss God's people. We're supposed to be a refreshing because for one, every one of us that might be spiritually dehydrated, there's somebody else that's not, and their spring up a well is going to have a refreshing effect on you. Does that make sense? It's going to make you well. So that's how we avoid it. That's part of how we avoid it. I would add, because of this morning, I would also add, engage worship fully. I don't know about you, but there was something going on today. There's something about this little guitar kick drum thing that Nate's able to do. I can't even act like I can do it right. There's something about that and the piano with the, watch this. There's something about that, I'll tell you right now when it's done proper, that then, if that's not enough, you want to throw on what, just so everybody knows, it's not a violin, it's a viola. You want to throw that thing in there? And we get this thing, and there was a part of me that's always like, well, it's worship, but I got to keep track of timing, and I'm supposed to do something at a certain time, so on and so forth. Second service, during like the second song, I was like, forget it, I don't care what's happening, God, you are awesome. Does that make sense? You know what happens there? Refreshment for the soul. Spend time in his word, spend time praying, engage the people around you, and make sure you engage fully in worship because something happens there. It's beautiful, Emma, Dwayne, Nate, thank you, right? That's a refreshing reality to our souls. So we got to stay hydrated even in those ways. We got to stay updated. You got to recognize, just so you know, stay updated personally. Recognize that your short temper, your frustration, you're prone to being judgmental, your anger, whatever it is that we all struggle with. Do you like that? We all struggle with it. Is it okay to say that we all struggle with those things? I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm just saying all of us probably struggle with these things. We have to realize that what's most likely causing that is not the people, places, or programs around us. It's probably a lack of what's happening within us. So we got to take some time. If you find yourself prone to anger, read the word. Throw some worship music on. Take a drink. I couldn't do this. Take a long, deep drink of God's love, right? No matter where you can get it. That's what we've got to do. So we got to be updated within us and recognize, wait, I'm a little little edgy today. And it's probably not the people around me. (laughs) It's not my kids. It's not my wife. It's not my neighbors. It's not my church. Which, by the way, this is who we usually blame it on, don't we? It's not the people who drive bad. And there's a lot of them. 5,000 miles, seven days. 12 days, 14, that's 5,000 miles. Pretty sure Bethany was the only one who drove properly. See what I mean? It's not that. It's probably something going on within us. So if we stay updated with ourselves personally, then we'll probably go to the spiritual well instead of blaming it on other people and just say, oh, well. You know what I mean? Justifying our not loving attitude, our not kindness, our not joyful, our not peaceful. You know what I'm saying? Thirdly, I think we got to stay motivated. I think we got to stay motivated. And what I mean by this is I think we got to see ourselves beyond ourselves. Jesus says, anybody comes to me and they believe and they take a deep, long drink of my love... I'll become within you a spring of living water flowing out of you. That reality is it flows out of us onto other people. And I already stated, we live in a time of great thirst. Don't you know 
that God has planned, designed, brought about a reality that what everyone is looking for in terms of the satisfaction for the thirst that they have deep within their souls is found in Jesus. And I might add, it's supposed to be found in Jesus through you and through me. We've got to stay motivated. We've got to recognize staying spiritually hydrated, drinking deep from God's love. Yes, it's a blessing to us, but just as much a blessing to the world around us as well. Why don't you guys stand up for just a moment? As Nate and Dwayne and Emma come back. Let me just encourage you. I don't know if you're out there online or even in the room. I do not know what's going on in all of your lives. I don't. But I do know this, there's a possibility because of God's sovereignty, there's a possibility that some of us have shown up this morning and we didn't realize how dire our situations were. We didn't realize that we're on the verge of spiritual dehydration. But the good news about the realization is this, Jesus invites us to take a long, deep drink of his presence once again, which will produce a satisfaction in our soul and a refreshing presence to the world around us. I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes for just a moment. I would just wonder, close your eyes for just one moment. I would just wonder if there's anybody here that just feels spiritually dry, Lift your hand up just a little bit. For those of you who already lifted your hand up before I even invited you to lift your hand up, praise the Lord. I want to pray for each and every person spiritually that feels that. Lord, I pray for these folks that have raised their hands, recognizing to you, Lord, that they need to be refreshed by your presence. I pray, Lord, that whether it's through your word or prayer or people, worship, circumstances, or any way that you see fit, I pray that you would meet each and every person with their hand up in a special way, Lord, that you would become within them a spring of living water that overflows not only in them but from them to the world around them. I pray that there would be a deep and genuine sense of refreshment from you today. And Lord, I pray that even as our hands are up, that we would recognize that we can pursue you each and every day. We don't have to wait just for Sunday, but on every day in between, you offer the invitation to come and take a deep drink of your love. So I pray that you would help people to remember to do that. God, I pray for anybody either online watching or in this room that has never actually believed in you for the first time. I pray, Lord, that you would stir up the thirst within their soul, that you would help them to recognize that nothing else is ever satisfied and that you're there waiting and willing 
to refresh their lives. I pray, Lord, for anybody in that space that even now they would believe in you. They would recognize that you are the Savior and Lord who died for their sins, rose again on the third day, offering them life and life abundant. Lord, I pray for those who need to believe in you, that you would work in such a way that belief would take place even now. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for all that you have done in our lives. Thank you for the refreshing reality that today can be. Help us to embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen. You have communion. I want to invite you at any point during this next song to remember the reality of what Jesus has done. Every promise that he has made is yes and amen because he rose from the grave. And so we have this opportunity to remember through a little piece of unleavened bread and a little piece of grape juice that he has forgiven us of our sins and therefore can refresh our lives on a regular basis for his glory and his honor. So at any point during this next song, we want to invite you to take communion and remember the depths of his love. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.